Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Hi guys, get ready for this episode because this is a good one. So today I'm interviewing Molly Olapenny, who is the founder and CEO of the Global Autism Project. The Global Autism Project is a nonprofit organization that works to empower and teach local individuals on how to work with children with autism. Molly started this foundation when she was 23 years old. And in a few minutes, she'll tell us the story of how the Global Autism Project came to be and what they're doing now in 16 countries worldwide. It is so amazing. The big value that you're going to get from this episode is all of the information that Molly shares regarding leadership and teamwork and collaboration. Her whole mission and vision for the Global Autism Project is doing with people, not for people. 
I mean, that idea, guys, is huge. That's how we should be approaching working with our teams, our parents, our clinicians, and how she works to empower leaders in her company and then work to create leaders in local communities is so applicable to what you are doing. Whether you are a teacher or a parent or a paraprofessional, we need to hone in our leadership skills and really be learning from the people that we're working with. So as you're listening to this episode... I want you to jot down a few notes because as Molly and I talk about and as Molly mentioned several times, this is really a mindset shift and there are so many great points that Molly makes that I think are going to be really important for you to grab onto and start to really work towards getting your mindset in this direction. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Hi, Molly. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. So I, there's a lot of things on our docket to talk about, but before we kind of get to our agenda, I would love for you to share with my listeners a little bit about your background and about the Global Autism Project that you started, because I think, you know, a lot of my listeners are going to be very interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, my background um, at the time that I started the Global Autism Project is I was an ABA therapist. I, you know, people always say, what was your background when you started the organization? And I think lots of people make assumptions that I must have done many, many things before I did. The fact of the matter is I was 23 years old. I had been in the fields um, working with a little boy with autism. His family lived in Seattle, Washington. And part of the reason I took the job working with this lovely kid and and his family was because... I knew that they were moving to Ghana at the end of the year, and I wasn't going to be doing that. And so I then moved to Ghana with them at the end of the year. Um, and And when I got there, people started coming to my house looking for the lady who knew what autism was. They were coming to my house. They were coming to the school where I was, um, working with him and they were, um, And I learned a whole lot about autism in Ghana. I learned that the locally accepted belief was that the kids are possessed. I learned that because of this, it can often lead to the mistreatment. Um, But more importantly, I learned that there were a whole lot of parents and professionals who wanted to do something and wanted to support um, these kids and their needs. And so, you know, I was, again, 23 years old at the age of 23. I think we all make questionable decisions and things seem a little easier than they end up being. <laughs> and what I decided to do was to start the Global Autism Project. And there's an old audio from years ago and it says, we'll start in Ghana and go all over the world. <laughs> and so, and it's funny because it's sort of like, I don't really know what I have in mind um, and what that, what that meant entirely. Um, but I knew that and people would say, oh, how are you going to do that? And I would sort of say, like, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, and it was the thing is, is that I built the organization because what I was finding, again, were a lot of people who wanted to know more. They were seeing me as a local resource. I knew that with one year experience, I certainly shouldn't be recognized as the expert and most certainly not the, um, the local expert in Ghana. I also learned very quickly um, a lot about the culture of Ghana. I learned a lot about um, that, you know, and I think the most important thing I learned is that, you know, no matter how much time I spent in Ghana, I was never going to be from Ghana. (laughs) You know, I think I knew that, but I think learning that on a deeper level. and, And what I mean by that is that, 
you know, as, as much familiarity and comfort as I can have with, um, with the community and, and conversations and things like that, I'm never going to get what it's like to have grown up there and have these beliefs as my beliefs. And so the organization is really predicated on the idea that the best people to work with the kids with autism in Ghana are the Ghanaian people. Um, and so the organization exists today. Um, we started in Ghana and we've gone all over the world, as we said, <laughs> um, 16 sites worldwide. And we exist today to build local capacity for autism services. And what that means is to train the local community, the local parents, and the local professionals in how to best interact with their kids. And the thing to know is that the training only goes so far that we can provide. The real experts in this are those local parents, are those um, local professionals who are doing this work. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times we talk in this country about burnout and the bureaucracy and you know, the challenges that are associated with doing this work. And, you know, the people who have chosen to do this work in the places where we work are the people who are truly in it because they believe in the goodness. They believe in the potential of the kids. They believe it against all odds. You know, they're living in a community where, again, the locally accepted belief is that the kids are possessed, that they're taken by bad spirits. You know, here, if you tell people, oh, I work with, um, you know, kids with autism, or I work with children with disabilities, or anything like that, the, the prevailing feeling is, you know, what people generally say to you is, oh, that's really sweet. That's incredible. That doesn't happen in the places where our partners work. So, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And at the end of the day, well, I'm sure we'll get more into this, it's been the lessons that we've learned from the communities where we work have been absolutely the most valuable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Oh my gosh. So amazing. I, I have so many questions and things I want to touch on, but it, you know, what you started with is that, you know, that this all started with one child. And it's so funny because I always ask people like, what brought you to the ABA field or the special ed field? And so often it's, well, I worked with this one kid. And it's so interesting that you have a similar story. I started with one kid and it 
kind of snowballed into affecting kids all over the world. It's it's yeah. just so crazy how, you know, one child can have such an impact on like your life and your heart that it starts this huge organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times, you know, and really, I think if we look at any movement, it really kind of starts with one kid and one moment. And, you know, people often ask how I started the organization. And, you know, it was um, Elizabeth Gilbert says that ideas kind of fly around and they sort of land in their person. And so, you know, that's the only way I can describe it to you really is that it was this one kid, it was I've lived my life um, at the time. Again, I was 23. I had taken a year. I'd gone to college for two years. I had taken a year off to do an AmeriCorps program just because that's what I felt like doing. And next thing I knew, I had a, I had an opportunity um, to travel to Ghana. So I did that because that's what I felt like doing, you know? And so <laughs> it was just kind of this series of just following my highest excitement and doing, you know, following what I wanted to do in that moment. Um, but yeah, I think it, you know, it did start with one kid and there was a very surreal moment last summer where I, we were in our office, we're based in Brooklyn, New York now. And that one kid who I had first started working with was in our office, looking at the pictures of the kids on the wall and asking me questions about them. And it was just this wild moment that it was just like, wow, yeah, you did this, honey. <laughs> you know? Like all full circle. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was very surreal. It was like 15 years later. So, you know, he's a little older and you know, <laughs> I'm a little older. The organization's a little older. But yeah, it was start with this one kid, start in this one place and go all over the world. This is so, this is so interesting. I love the idea of empowering the local professionals and teachers and parents to work with children with autism. So can you talk a little bit about how, how that works? What, you know, what, how do you find professionals that go in and train? And then what does your overall kind of training structure look like for empowering and teaching these best practices for working with individuals on the spectrum? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. So it's interesting because first of all, one of the most important things about the work that we do um, is we go where we're wanted. You know, a lot of people say, give a man a fish, He'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. I say, let's start by asking what they like to eat. And are <laughs> they hungry? And so I think that's the that's, you know, sometimes people say, you know, how have you been able to do this? How do you build capacity? How do you go places where you're wanted? And I think that's kind of the easiest thing. We start by asking what it is that people want, asking about their priorities. Um, in terms of our actual model, we have created a program called Skill Corps, where we take skilled professionals, multidisciplinary teams, speech and OT and ABA and special ed teachers and parents and siblings of people with autism and autistic self-advocates. Um, we, we recruit for professional and neurodiversity. And we take these teams for two weeks at a time into the field to work in the school with the teachers. Um, in the autism center with the kids, with the teachers, but primarily with the teachers, right? Because if we are able to get a kid to do something, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't pass what we call the flyaway test, right? Once we leave, <laughs> we need to yeah. know that the teacher in the community is able to, to provide that training. And they travel for two weeks at a time. And then what sets our organization apart is 
between those two week visits, we're in communication every single week with each of those partner sites. So we're able to follow up and be sure, see if there were any questions. Um, you know, and of course there are questions, you know, um, and we're able to learn what, what worked, what didn't work about how we were teaching. You know, I think that, that if the, if the learner's not learning, the teacher's not teaching. And so we're very mindful of that and monitoring that as we go. Um, but a really important piece again, is just this idea of the people that we work with, we see as the experts in this. We see our partners as the absolute experts when it comes to this kid, these kids, one of the things that we talk about a lot is we should do with, not for. And what we mean by that is that we should do everything that we do should be in collaboration. We literally build, we draw, whenever we have a conversation, we draw this three circle Venn diagram. And one says our priorities, because we'd like to think we have something to offer. One says their priorities. That should be a bit of a larger circle. And then there's a third circle that says sustainability. And it's where those three interact that we will create interventions. We use a very Socratic approach. What I mean by that is there's a lot of questions. There's not a whole lot of telling. There's a whole lot of asking. Um, it's really important to us to understand what the priority is. I remember when I um, was consulting in classrooms, my, the first thing I would do is want to understand more about the classroom, want to understand more about the priorities. When I've, you know, when I've worked with teachers who work with paraprofessionals, the paraprofessionals tend to have a lot of insight on those kids. They've spent a lot of time with those kids. And so starting, starting by involving them in the discussion, you know, it's, I can't tell you the number of times I met paraprofessionals here in this country and they said, well, this is what I would do, but no one ever asked me. It's like, how could no one ever ask you? <laughs> you have the most insight. And so I think it's really a mindset shift from here are the people who are here to just kind of deliver the services or to parent the kid to um, how, do we, how do we involve these folks in the process? Oh my gosh, that, that the, I'm happy you made the parallel to the paraprofessionals because that's what I was thinking the whole time is you're talking about, you know, empowering local professionals as the experts, I just kept thinking about a classroom teacher who yes. has paraprofessionals in their classroom or parents that they're working with of their students. Yeah. And there's not often that dynamic. You know, there's not often that dynamic of, oh, mom and dad, you're the expert on Johnny because you birthed him and you've known him for all 12 years of his life. Right. I just came in his life last year. So you tell me and, you know, or paraprofessionals that have so often been in the field for longer than a teacher. Yes. And, yes. you know, it's, it's this interesting, you know, it's this interesting dynamic of, okay, well, I'm the teacher, but also I love that point you made about you should be asking more questions than telling what to do because yeah. you're going to figure out where where you're needed and where like the skill deficit is. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I heard something a few years ago that really, really helped remove my urge to tell anyone anything. <laughs> no one believes anything until it comes out of their own mouth. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a good quote. So I... I no longer have the desire to tell you anything. <laughs> yeah. Now I want to ask questions and I want you to tell me why it's important that we do X, Y, Z. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, the, the level of, you cannot, you cannot underestimate the importance of experience. Nothing teaches like experience. And we say that all the time. And we know that we know that that's the thing to say, but we don't put that into practice all the time. Yeah, because there's this, 
I don't know. I, I think as a as a classroom teacher, you're like, well, I should be this person and I should and I should and I should. And we get stuck in these like preconceived notions and ideas of what this traditional team yeah. should look like. But a team isn't one boss and minions. It's people that all collaborate and work together. Yeah. And that idea of people kind of realizing where they need help or where they need training, it would be so much more powerful if uh, a teacher or a pair of parents said, hey, I need help with behavior management versus someone coming to them and being like, you need help with behavior management. Yeah. That person's going to be like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it's a really, it's a really important point. And I think just, again, just asking questions, you know, if for, when someone asks you your opinion, you know, you're asking me my opinion about things right now. I, I have a different you know, level of confidence in that conversation versus if we were on the phone, you were just telling me what to do, you know? So yeah. it's, um, it, yeah, I think it's just a really, it's a really important, easy thing that, that we can do. And I think to your point, we do sort of think of the teacher has to do this and then the para sort of has to line up behind them. And, and in international development, we see the same thing that, you know, the person who is working for the NGO or the organization comes in and does this. And we ask this of the people in the community and there's, there's been a shift, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, when it's sort of that, that dynamic, the, who we should think of as our boss is that kid. Listen yes. to that kid. And if we can all just realize that we work for that kid, as parents, we work for that kid, as teachers, we work for that kid, as paraprofessionals, we work for that kid, that shifts the dynamic entirely. Yeah, it gets everyone on the same page to see that kind of common why. Like one of the first things yeah. I always have classroom teams do in the start of the year is make a class mission statement. Like the teacher, oh, the awesome. parents, the clinicians, like why are you guys all here? Like you could be a barista at Starbucks and life would be easier, but you're not. Yeah, you're here in a school. <laughs> yeah. And you get yeah. a sweet discount. It'd be good, but you're not. You're here and you're work you've chosen a, you know, a hard but rewarding job. So if we can all come together on our why, that's really important. Um, yeah. So kind of going back to your teams that go in, how often do they go in to locations or cities? Does that vary or is that? So we run, we run the, we run the trips three times a year for two weeks at a time. Um, we've done that for a few reasons. One, we are so proud of and love our skill core community and they love each other. We used to send out teams one at a time, but now we send them up to all the countries at once. And it creates this really amazing, just kind of tidal wave of, of movement, you know, when, when everyone's here. And so it's also such a good way for the professionals and um, the people traveling to be able to expand their network. And so we said, you know, going out with just the team, you're, you're meeting five or six people and that's great, but what if you were meeting a hundred people, you know? And so that's what we've created. So three times a year they travel, they travel in February, July, and October. And so sometimes are they going back to the same locations or does that just depend on the level of need? Yeah. From so, um, so each time a team goes out, it's a different group of people. So okay. hence the importance of coming all together in New York before they travel and all that good stuff. Um, but they are, um, for instance, a site, a partner site in Kenya will get a team three times a year. And then ultimately we work ourselves out of that position. We build their capacity, we provide training to them, and then we, we work ourselves out so that it's, it's their program and they're running it on their own. 
Yes. I always say your job is to lose your job. So you guys yeah. are losing yeah. your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What are some of what are some of the big areas of need that you hear from, you know, the the schools and the facilities that you work with as far as, you know, behavior or communication? What are some kind of overarching topics that you see being um, requested or focused on a lot? In the communities where we work, honestly, the the biggest challenge is sometimes just awareness of autism and the stigma mm-hmm. around autism. Um, there's not, you know, I think that one of the things, obviously, that we we try to encourage, and and so because there's the strong stigma and there's lack of awareness, um, and is really to be able to demonstrate to the parents that the people that we work with want to be able to demonstrate to the kids' parents that this kid can learn. Because if we can mm-hmm. demonstrate that this kid can learn, then it becomes a little bit harder to think that this child is is not a productive member of, or can't be a productive member of society. You know, we can show that mm-hmm. capacity. So in terms of communication and behavior things, I would say the, the most basic thing is just demonstrating that demonstrating the ability to learn, really. Yeah, and that those things are possible. Yes, yeah, because you have to, you know, and it's in some it's such an it's such interesting work to be doing because on one hand you're working in a place where they don't have great examples around them of what's possible, and mm-hmm. on another hand they don't have examples around them of what's not possible, <laughs> and yeah. so you know I, I think that we tend to we tend to see tremendous optimism around what's possible for the kids once we can kind of break that barrier of the kid can learn, you know? Because that potential maybe wasn't seen there before. Right, right. And then once it is, it's the sky's the limit, you know? That's awesome. So you obviously manage a lot of teams and professionals. How, I mean, that's a huge job in itself. Like I can't (laughs) even wrap my brain around how many people you, you lead. Um, what yeah. what kind of advice or best practices kind of help you manage remotely as well? Because obviously people, these people aren't with you every day um, and kind of share this vision that you have because you have such a clear and specific and amazing vision for what you want this to look like. How do you get people on board with that? Yeah, great question. And I love that you said you start your school year with kind of what is our class mission statement? Why are we here? Um, we spend a lot of time as an organization reconnecting to why are we here? Um, the vast majority of my team spends a lot of time in the field. And so that is just a sudden, every time you go in the field, we always tell them it's like, and I, I love this practice too, for teachers, because it's, I tell them to refill their passion station. And so to go into the field and just for a moment, get silent about just get silent and take in what it is that we're doing here. Take in what it is that we're creating and just, just appreciate it for just a minute. So that when you're in the office and you're copying papers and you're doing those things that, you know, or you're filling mm-hmm. out those reports or whatever for teachers, right. That you can pause and you can go back to your passion station whenever you need it. And I think of your passion station as just kind of like refilling, refueling, you know, um, and so that's that's one thing in terms of how do we keep people connected is there's there's consistent dialogue around the the inspirational moments. You know, we start every staff meeting with what we call a plus no delta. 
Um, we do a process called plus delta where we say something we like and something we would change. At the beginning of our staff meeting, we do a plus no delta. So just what's something that's going well in your world? We do a lot of video conferencing, as you can imagine. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, is that we make sure that we have, we're all work, we all work on one platform for project management and task management so we can see what, what's happening, what everyone's up to in the world. Um, we also have a weekly report that everybody fills out that says how their week is going, how are things going, and not only how are things going at work um, in your part of the world, but how are things going in your home life? What are you struggling with right now? What do you, do you need to discuss something one-on-one? Is there more, can we offer you more support? Do you need more resources that we're not providing? You know, whatever it is that goes on that weekly report. Um, and so we're regularly soliciting feedback. I solicit feedback anonymously um, on my team. I find it more valuable when it's not anonymous so that we can actually address things. With the Follow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But, but we offer that for them. So if that's something that they want to do, they can. In terms of leadership in general, and you're right, we spend a tremendous amount of our time and energy in developing leaders, cultivating leaders, training leaders, um, because we are training not only the partners around the world to be leaders in their community, leaders in their building, leaders in their own families. We're also training the skill core trip leaders because everybody who goes out goes out with a trained leader. And, you know, what I have found is that one of the most important things in leadership is one, this concept of do with, not for, but two, self-awareness and knowing where your blind spots are, knowing, engaging in dialogue, being willing to look at something in another way, um, being willing to look at something in another way so that you can, you can just engage on a completely different level. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if we create a, a pie chart and we draw a little dot for things I know, right? The pie chart, the circle is all the things in the world and the dot is things I know. And there's a little piece of things I know. And then there are things I know I don't know, right? But then there's a whole other circle of blind spots and things that I don't know that I don't know. So <laughs> how, do you, how do you engage in dialogue? How do you ask questions, you know, um, and really create a, a practice of self-awareness so that you can be a powerful leader? That's such a good point because people are so scared, like terrified for mm -hmm. anyone to figure out that they don't know all the things yeah. and no one, nobody knows all the things, right. but you know, we're like scared to be like, oh, well, I don't know about that. You don't have to know about and yeah. be an expert yeah. at everything. And it's yeah. people, people respect people more actually that are like, actually, no, I don't know that. Let me look that up or let me find that out no. or let me go learn about that or ask someone. Of course. But yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to learn more about it. You know, I just but we kind of get like hesitant to say that. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what we don't know. And I think that's another way, honestly, that we've cultivated, we've built this movement is that we've built it in a spirit of entrepreneurship, of innovation, of, of success and failure. You know, we think we can learn so much when we do things wrong. And so when we do things wrong around here, we're like, yes, awesome. Never going to do it that way again. Cool. <laughs> you know? um, but it's, just, it's just a totally different, it's, it's a mindset piece, I think. Yeah. But yeah, just, you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's it. That's and that's it. probably why you were, have been so successful in so many communities is because you didn't come in as like the know-it-all. It's like, no. I don't know about your culture. I don't know about the norms here. You tell me. Yes. And people respond to that. 
Yeah, and it's always it's funny to me because you know now you're you're hearing Global Autism Project sixteen years later all tied up in a neat little bow. If we have a strategic <laughs> approach and hashtag do with not for really what happened is I was twenty three years old. I had no idea what I was doing, and I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. But I hope that listeners actually can relate to that because yeah. there's a lot of young teachers that show up in the field. I mean, I was that 23-year-old teacher that was dropped in a classroom with 12 boys that were taller than me. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm not prepared for this. And, <laughs> you know, you you figure it out. And you ask yeah. um, by by asking questions, by yeah. by learning, by reaching out and, yeah. and, fa- and making mistakes. I ask my staff questions. I encourage parents to ask you know, teachers to ask parents questions. I, you know, I think you just create this. I remember years ago, we were trying to figure out how do we create a culture of feedback in our organization? I read so many books, talked with several consultants. And what I really learned is that it really just, it, we really just needed to embrace the idea of feedback. We really just needed to look forward to hearing from someone what we could do differently. We really just had to integrate it into everything that we did. We really just had to, we had to all learn to separate, you know, to know that if someone gives us feedback, it doesn't, what it doesn't mean is that we're a terrible person and we're a horrible employee and we are never, we'll never be successful. You know, it's like someone says something to you and you have the ability, you being all human beings has the ability to generate an entire story around that one thing that was said. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and so that's, that's part of the work that we do too, is we say, you know, what happened? Cool. What's the story that you created around what happened? Okay, cool. So you created that story just to be clear. <laughs> um, and so that kind of conversation works really well in, in being able to create, in being able to deliver feedback. Hey, listen, I have some feedback for you. Cool. It's not like, oh, Molly has some feedback for me. You know what's next. You know she all she wants to do is get rid of us all. You, no, we have some feedback for you. That's all. <laughs> you know. So. And then and then feedback becomes the norm. It's not like this yes. terrifying thing that puts everyone on edge. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I you know I talk about that with teachers a lot with staff training is because initially I think it's very uncomfortable and weird and new. And I don't want to, I don't want to be direct. And it's just better if we all are kind of tiptoeing around each other. And, but once you start engaging in, you know, more direct training and, and, and feedback and asking questions, then it's not weird anymore because it's just the norm. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And things are, things are weird and hard the first time and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think if you, again, if you can embrace this idea of do with not for, if you can remember that people don't believe anything until it comes out of their own mouth, you're now asking so many questions that it becomes more acceptable to ask you questions because that's true. Conversations with parents who are scared to death to ask the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it feels actually to me, it would feel way more comfortable to just kind of approach training and all this is like asking questions and figuring yeah. out what's going on that doesn't feel as like confrontational. Like I'm someone that's like very anti-confrontational. So that's why I get, I empathize with people, but it doesn't have to be confrontational. Right. And have it's this- not a, I'm checking up on you. It's just, you know, you, we both watched him in the classroom all day. And so now we can say, you know, we can say to the para, what do you think was going on for him? That's, there's, there's not a, you know, there's not a right or wrong answer necessarily. So what, do you, what do you think? What do you think yeah. about that? You know, like you were, you know, gosh, you were with them all day today. I had 18 other students. What, what do you think is going on? Yeah. Uh, that simple question, you would be amazed, you know, and it's not, again, it's, um, I've done 
mostly out of personal interest and because we saw a lot of parallels between the work we were doing internationally and the and the relationships between teachers and teachers and parents we were getting um feedback from teachers who traveled with us who said now i'm much better at working with my para and we said oh wow. <laughs> that's cool what do you mean um and so then we you know parlay that into some trainings here in the new york city schools and one of the things you know we we asked paras if, if the teacher could do something differently to improve your working relationship you know, what would it be if the teacher could do something differently to improve your, um, your success, your kid's success, what would it be? And it was ask me, ask me. Yes. That's yes. It. Ask for my input. I, that's, that's so funny that you said that. Cause about a few months ago, I did an Insta story, you know, question sticker. And I said, if you're a paraprofessional, drop your answer in here and it's all anonymous. So I got, you know, night, which was great. A lot of responses. Yeah. What do you wish your teacher did differently? Yes. And overwhelmingly it was, ask my advice, ask my input or yeah. include me in decisions. Like it wasn't like, give me less work or don't give me the hard no. kids. It was, it was give me more, you know, yes. include me. Yes. 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 And if you think about, if you've spent, you know, again, 20, 10, 20 years in a classroom with kids, you know, and, and I think, you know, it's similar. I've had conversations. I have this TEDx talk I do with not for, and you would be amazed at the number of doctors and nurses who reach out to me after watching that. And doctors watch it and they go, you know, I realized that I could work with my nurses in a different way. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's funny. You put stuff out there, you never know. Like this, I know I don't know who it's gonna resonate for. Yeah. I know certain things and you know it because leadership, as you said earlier, is that set of skills and we we engage in leadership behaviors in so many areas of our lives that this can apply whether you're in a family role, in, you know, a workplace role or what in a variety of types of workplaces. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So where can people go to learn more about you and learn more about the Global Autism Project? Oh, you can, you can go to Google. I always tell people to go to Google. <laughs> I'm like Google Molly and Global Autism these days. Uh, but <laughs> our website is globalautismproject.org. I also have another website that is dowithnotfor.com that talks um, more about more about do with not for movement. Awesome. This has been so interesting. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're extremely busy. Um, and actually, I didn't share this with you earlier, but at, when I was in college, I did some short-term volunteering in Peru and in Tanzania in oh. special education schools. So it's really interesting to hear and a lot of the a lot of the things that I wish were different about that experience are things that you've kind of troubleshooted for and are part yeah. of your vision. You know, I really struggled um, with leaving and with, yeah. um, you know, I was very much like, let's teach the teachers how to do this. I should be the one working directly with students because I saw that. But then I hated that we left and it was done and there wasn't follow up. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I tried to keep in touch with teachers that I'd worked with there. But, you know, it's it's amazing that you have this sustainable um yeah endeavor you, you know because that's have really... a real structure in place and you know and there and really the skill core was designed in part because of great people like you who want to go and provide training and who want it to be sustainable and want it to be ethical and want it to be culturally relevant and want it to be you know all yeah. those pieces and so um you know and then we have an entire organization that supports that and then our part, you know, you talked about staying in touch. That's one of the hardest things, especially depending on how long ago it was, you know, yeah. I always tell people, I started this pre-Skype, 
pre-Facebook. Like, oh yes, okay, same. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-Zoom. Yeah. Okay? Um, but yeah. it's the staying in touch is a really, really challenging component. And so just last year, we've now added in regional conferences so that our staff goes out and meets with all of our partners in different regions of the world. And then we've added a global summit where all of our partners from around the world get together. Because if you think it was hard for you to have to leave and know what you were leaving, think about people on the other side of that. Now to being all alone, not staying in touch, you know, not being able to not really, not really totally knowing what it was they learned because it was a lot fast, you know, potentially. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's why we've built this entire model, um, for intervention because, you know, there's, I think it's, there's, and it's interesting because people say, you know, so basically you saw what you didn't want to build. And I was like, I did. And for a long time, I stayed away from any kind of volunteer intervention at all. It's like, we're not, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and then I really got, you know, I really got that potentially what I could do is instead of trying to not build what I don't want, <laughs> I could do with not for, I could talk with our partners, I could learn from them what do they want. Um, and so that's, that's really what has created, informed and sustained Skillcore, honestly. Awesome. Oh my gosh. So many great so much, so much great advice in this episode and so many, you know, best practices that apply to so many areas. And I think, you know, your overall message of just kind of staying true to your vision and what you want is such an important idea of kind of keep going back, like you said, to your, to your passion, but like have that be your guiding principle, yes. like why you're doing this and this yeah. idea of doing with not for, which I feel like everyone that's listening to this could get on board with. That's why we're here. So thank you so much, Molly, for sharing all of your your insight. Yeah, I was just going to add that do with, not for works in relationship decision-making also. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it works there too. So Applies to all areas. Well, thank okay. you so much. I know you're very busy, so thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. It's been fun. I really appreciate it. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. 
If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.